About a year ago, things were looking bad for the rental car company Hertz. Because of the pandemic, nobody was traveling or renting cars, and at the end of May, Hertz had to file for bankruptcy. But after it filed for bankruptcy, something really strange happened. Its stock took off. Hertz is up more than 300%. This doesn't seem to make any rational sense. Investors piled into the stock even after the company warned these new shares could be worthless. Hertz, the stock more than doubling yesterday. It is now higher than it was before it filed for bankruptcy. The people driving up the stock were everyday investors who thought that eventually Hertz's business was bound to get back on track. But on Wall Street, a lot of people thought that these investors had no idea what they were doing. I mean, listen, I think the people who have been buying Hertz are probably not the kind of sophisticated investors who would have a nuanced view on Hertz's capital structure. All the new investors who've been bidding up Hertz over the past week about to get a harsh lesson about who really owns a company. Because I don't want you throwing your money away on a whim. Now, a year later, these so-called unsophisticated investors are getting the last laugh. And lots of them are about to make a bunch of money. And in the end, those small-time guys were correct. Whether it was by luck or by, you know, uh, good forecasting on their part, it's a little hard to say. But if essentially they were correct and the big-time Wall Street investors were wrong. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, May 20th. Coming up on the show, how an outrageous bet on a bankrupt company actually paid off. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Last May, because it was in such dire financial straits, Hertz had to file for bankruptcy with very little time to prepare. Usually in a big bankruptcy, you know, this is coming for months ahead of time or even years in some cases. This happened so rapidly that they literally filed what's called a free fall bankruptcy, where they filed for Chapter 11, no plan, no deal, just let's get started. That's our colleague Alex Gladstone, who covers distressed companies. And he says Hertz's bankruptcy filing looked really bad. And so initially, investors reacted in the way you'd expect. They started selling off their shares. Hertz's stock collapsed, and it kept on falling in the weeks leading up to their filing. Then after they filed, it hit a, a low, I believe, of around 55 cents. And this is for a stock that was trading in the $15 range, maybe just, just a year before. And their biggest investor, uh, Carl Icahn, he had almost 40% of the company, of the stock, he sold his 55 million shares just a few days after the bankruptcy filing for 72 cents a piece, which many people believe reflected the view that the stock is probably going to be worthless. Most big-time investors on Wall Street felt the same way as Carl Icahn. It seemed like everybody was selling Hertz's stock. 
But then, just days later, it started to rise again. Here's what's so interesting. They filed on May 22nd. In early June, I believe June 3rd or June 4th is when this began, we began to see this bubble emerging where people were buying up Hertz stock. It was a head-scratching thing where at the time, you know, we talked to different professional investors and bankers and so forth. Was, yeah, I don't know who's buying this. This, this, this has to all be retail investors. Retail investors, as in just regular people who were trading their own money, often through smartphone apps like Robinhood, Webull, or E-Trade. It was the first time we saw retail investors as a force in seriously influencing stock prices. It was, it was crazy. The stock was up by about 900% over a few days in June. And we confirmed from people who knew that it, it was, there was no institutional investors. It was all just retail investors. Alex spoke with a bunch of those retail investors about why they were buying Hertz's stock. One was a guy named Zach Konovich. Zach is a real estate broker who lives in Marine Park, Brooklyn. And his motivation for getting involved in Hertz is that I think at the time it was a fairly cheap stock and it's a well-known stock. And he just thought this is a well-known company that I believe uh, it will recover because the pandemic likely won't be here forever. It wasn't just a gut feeling, though. The other reason he had for buying more stock in the spring was that used car prices started going up. He says he has friends who work in the automotive business, and they were telling him, hey, used car prices are going up more than we thought. And that's in part because people tended to actually want to drive more during the pandemic and not take public transportation. Zach figured that more demand for used cars would drive up the price of used cars which would be good for Hertz, because like every rental car company, Hertz regularly sells off the aging cars in its fleet. So if prices for used cars go up, companies like Hertz can make more money. And so Zach began thinking, well, you know what? If, if used car prices are going up, that benefits Hertz, and I want to maybe buy more stock now. And his view at the time was, I think this is a major well-known business, which is poised to recover at some point. One thing he said that was very prescient, he said at the time, because it was such a major uh, rental car company, he always thought someone would buy them out. And that was a common theme we heard from many people that we spoke to, is that people thought, this is a big company, somebody's going to want to own them. There's going to be some large investor that is going to want to buy them out. So when all these regular people like Zach were buying up Hertz's stock, what did people on Wall Street think of it? They mostly thought it was ridiculous. They thought this, these are people who are foolish. They have no idea what they're doing. You know, th th this is just a crazy bubble for people who don't know any better, people who don't understand the bankruptcy process, people who don't understand how finance works. This, these are just people chasing after a speculative bubble. Why did they think it was such a bad idea? In almost all bankruptcies, there's no money left over for shareholders. Because under Chapter 11, when a company's in bankruptcy, virtually always the shares, the shareholders, are wiped out and given pretty much zero. Most of the time, when a company goes bankrupt, it's the people who loaned money to the company that get paid back first. And the people who own the company, or the shareholders, walk away with nothing. Which is why Wall Street was so incredulous that these amateurs were buying up the stock of Hertz, a bankrupt company. But not everyone was laughing at the retail investors. 
Over at Hertz, the company's executives were watching their stock surge, and they saw an opportunity, a possible way to turn things around. So when you are in bankruptcy, the problem you have is you don't have enough money. If you had a lot of money, you have a lot of cash, you wouldn't be in bankruptcy. So whenever you're in bankruptcy, you want to raise money. If you get a loan, you need to pay it back with interest. And so raising shares, selling equity, selling stock is the best way to finance a company because you don't have to pay it back. In June of 2020, just a few weeks after filing for bankruptcy, Hertz decided to sell new shares, enough to raise a billion dollars. And so they went to the stock market and put the shares up for sale. What did they say when they were out there selling these new shares? Like, hi, we are a bankrupt company and you should give us money, even though almost certainly you're going to lose all of it? (laughs) That's pretty much what they said, actually. They said there's a significant risk these shares could be worthless. Despite the warning, people started buying up these new shares anyway. But almost as soon as Hertz started selling these new shares, executives at the company got a phone call. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. How well do we know the people we work with every day? We share lunches, jokes, and deadlines, but are we aware of the unseen struggles we often face silently? Stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or feeling misunderstood at work? Through insight, awareness, and empathy, we can start to better see the issues our coworkers are dealing with, and that can make us and our companies healthier, too. Join Holly Robinson-Pete and her guests on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. When Hertz put its stock up for sale on one Monday last June, it raised eyebrows in Washington. Officials at the Securities and Exchange Commission, which regulates financial markets, looked at what Hertz was doing, and they thought it was risky. And so Alex says they made a phone call to Hertz to share their thoughts on the stock sale. We don't know exactly what they said at the time, but what happened is, is that that following Wednesday, Wednesday morning, the chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission, Jay Clayton, he appeared on CNBC and told the world the SEC has comments on Hertz's current share offering program. What I can say is that in this particular situation, we we have let the company know that we have comments on their disclosure. Um, In most cases, when you let a company know that the SEC has comments on their disclosure, um, they do not go forward until those comments uh, are resolved. Why was the SEC worried about Hertz selling new shares? My understanding from people who know what the SEC was thinking at the time, I will say, is that Members of the SEC staff felt that this was a speculative bubble 
And they believe that even though Hertz disclosed that there is a significant risk to these shares, the SEC felt like it was such an atypical, unusual event for a company that had just filed for bankruptcy to be trying to sell all this stock. There has to be a, a really a lot more disclosure that details the risks. And shortly after that TV appearance, Hertz, they formally terminated the entire program. Hertz and the SEC declined to comment. Hertz had made some money from selling shares, but now the rest of the stock sale was off the table. And Hertz still needed the cash, so it decided to go out and get a loan for $1.25 billion. That loan helped Hertz get through the next few months while its bankruptcy went through the courts. And in the meantime, the U.S. economy began to reopen and people started making plans to travel again. As more people started to travel, Hertz's prospects started improving. And just like Zach Konovich had predicted, used car prices did start to rise. By May of this year, some of the more traditional investors on Wall Street started noticing that Hertz's business was rebounding, and they saw an opportunity. There was a group of investors who decided that they wanted to buy the company out of bankruptcy. It's a group of of major funds, hedge funds and private equity funds. They submitted a bid for the company. People thought this is a pretty decent bid for the company. This offer would have given Hertz enough money to pay off most of its debt, but not enough to offer anything to those small-time investors. But then... Shortly thereafter, a rival group of investors puts in a counteroffer. Then a bidding war commences, where there's multiple different offers and counteroffers, each getting better and better and better every time. It becomes a very aggressive and competitive process for which group of investors is going to actually win and end up owning this company. In the end, a group of hedge funds and private equity firms, along with some other investors, are buying the company for about $6 billion. Last Friday, it was confirmed. And their bid, their offer, will not only pay the debts in full, it'll give roughly $8 per share to the shareholders. And as for those small-time investors, they didn't lose their money. In fact, their big gamble on a bankrupt, struggling company worked. It paid off, which is something that almost never happens in a bankruptcy. It's extremely rare. Here's what's so interesting to me about this, is that they're the professional investors on Wall Street who spend their days working on financial models and going through all this complex forecasting and very sophisticated analysis. But then there are these other people, these small-time investors, who might not get into that level of minutiae and detailed forecasting, but they might have sort of a gut-level, instinctive feeling for how things might play out. It's a well-known enough company. It's also a, a big enough brand. Alex says this whole situation shows that sometimes those unsophisticated investors might actually be more sophisticated than people give them credit for. People like Zach, he was exactly right. When he said that I always thought someone was, was going to come in and buy them out, he was completely right. Someone did come in and buy them out for a huge amount of money. He's now set to make about $15,000 overall in his investment. It sounds like it's sort of a story about dumb money versus smart money. And it turned out that the dumb money wasn't actually so dumb. Yes, and here's the thing. Retail investors are making their voices heard. They are impacting 
financial situations, and that needs to be taken into account. That's all for today, Thursday, May 20th. Additional reporting in this episode by Becky Urich. Before you go, we have a special announcement. If you liked hearing this story and learning about average Joe stock traders making tons of money, then you're going to love a new project launching from the journal. One of our producers, Annie Minoff, has been looking into another stock that retail traders piled into, GameStop. And she has quite the story to tell. We're going to be publishing it here on the journal feed for the next few Sundays, starting May 30th. But first, here's a sneak peek of it. A trailer from Annie. Remember back in January when a group of everyday people drove up the stock price of GameStop? It was discombobulating. It was disturbing. I mean, what the hell is going on? Hi, I'm Annie Minoff. I'm one of the producers on the journal. And I was also confused about what was going on. How did these amateurs take Wall Street so totally by surprise? I've spent months trying to figure that out. And I've learned the story. It's not really about GameStop. It's about a whole slew of forces colliding at a specific moment in time. There was a radical shift in how some people thought about investing their money. It's kind of like a belief, right? I'm going to get rich or die trying. I'm going to go all in. And I'm not afraid of the consequences. And there was new technology that made it easier than ever to buy in. Tap, swipe, and buy a stock. Is tender for the stock market, but you can't get rejected. It's a story about old guard investors who doubted it could ever happen. You know, I said, these people can't stick together because human nature and history shows that they don't. And the people who wanted to make a statement. A lot of these guys feel like they don't have a big chance in the system. It's like life is too short to not at least try to be a millionaire overnight. The story is complicated, and it goes back decades. So the journal's launching a special five-part series to tell in full the story of how exactly the little guys took on Wall Street and saw their investment skyrocket to the moon. $50,000 made sense to me. Once I hit $800,000, what is numbers? What does this even mean? Like, how much do islands cost? Find our series in the journal podcast feed on Spotify or wherever you listen. We launch May 30th and come out on Sundays. It's kind of like that Rick and Morty meme, you know? In and out, 20 minutes, what can go wrong?